Hello, it's me again, and welcome to the McCool to Talk podcast. Ooh, 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 ooh. Really should start editing these at some point. Um, but anyway, today I wanted to talk to you on a topic about uh, footballers in non-league. And I think I see more and more, I guess it's social media. I must stop looking at TikTok. I think I waste about three hours a day looking at that. But anyway, um, that and of, of course all the other platforms, there's more and more uh, people that have got an idea or or ways they think people, um, players, sorry, can go from non-league to professional football. And I think a lot of it is very good information. I think a lot of it is from like really experienced people, which is great. And some of it, I think, quite frankly, at the other end is nonsense. I think, you know, comes across as, as perhaps they don't really know the real world. Uh, and I'm not sure what they're sort of looking to, to gain. And it's, you know, out of sort of giving people uh, ideas which I just or, or suggestions which I just don't think are realistic. So I thought to myself, well, I'm not saying I'm right either, but I've had a lot of experience, I think, in that world. And I wanted to share it as part of a podcast on my own, actually, with a view to if it ignites something in, in other people, if, if you agree or disagree or you want more information or you want to share something or or join me on a on a podcast afterwards, uh, it would be great to hear from you. So <clears throat> I think um, the, the, the overriding motivation for it is that there's no doubt that a lot of, well, all footballers are desperate to play football professionally, of course, up until the point where realism maybe sets in or injury or, or yeah, the, the reality of where you are. There is a phrase actually that goes in football, you kind of end up where you are for a reason. Some some ways that's quite frustrating. I think we, we could all point to really, really highly talented players, uh, technically, that don't always make it into the game. And I think that's maybe again where it's overlooked the holistical parts of the game because... I think maybe we're, we're sort of heavily focused on that technical side. Um, and, uh, and and actually, one of my worrying things is that I see more and more monetization of the of the game at a much lower level, a scary low level, actually, in my opinion. So, like step six, maybe, for example, and I hear more and more players getting paid and, 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 and actually people suggesting they should be paid more or you know if you're not getting paid this you should move here um and i don't know i just find that a little bit worrying from a football club's point of view in non-league you know if you accept the levels of you know national league being step one pretty much full-time footballers now step two some will be but certainly you know a very well-paid league but then i could i could understand that you know when you look at the level, some of the clubs in and around them leagues are tremendous, even former football league clubs and and they're travelling miles and miles so it's not feasible actually to be travelling hundreds of miles midweek and then getting up for work at 7 o'clock and, uh, and then even into the, to the uh, step 3 so them leagues again, that, with the changes that happened as well, benefited some and, and some others not so, you know going from way down south and playing in the Northern League, for example, uh, makes it very tough. So actually compensation for players, I, I can understand. And some of those clubs draw really terrific crowds. So in some ways it's sustainable, uh, not kind of the boomer busting, which I've, I really hate, which is clubs chucking everything up front once they realise they're not going to get promoted withdrawing taking the money back um and then there's a huge exit of players and that's another whole topic but creates a you know a bit of a question mark over the the integrity of competitions in my opinion but i can understand at them levels that really players should be compensated in some ways like i say they have decent crowds they have decent revenue they've they're they're well run and there's a big commitment from the players perspective and rightly so when you start dropping back through the leagues, so you go past step four and into step five and six, uh, I, I really it's only my opinion, I really question whether players should be paid. I mean, in some cases, expenses. There's 
I mean, off the top of my head in this region, there's three clubs that I can think of that draw really, really, actually probably three to five, I guess, draw really good crowds. So I guess, you know, paying players expenses and things is great. But then when you, when you start talking about agents, I don't know, that leaves, that's a funny one for me. And that's where I worry about the motivation. So what I wanted to do is for players that are in and around those leagues, is to really talk to them about my experience and what I did. Um, what are the tools that I think you need? If you really are serious about wanting to be a footballer, in my experience and qualifications and, and the clubs I've been in, if I share with you what I know, uh, I think you can then choose, you know, and that's not knocking anyone that is issuing advice. Go talk to them guys if if you want. Uh, listen to this if you want, and then work out on your own what you think is the is is the best course. So uh, I think there's the the thing with um, advice, especially non-league, where you say, you know, if a striker scores twenty goals at, at those sort of levels, you'll get noticed. And I always think to myself, well, anyone can really spot a player that scores a hat trick every week, and think, well, I wonder if they could play higher. Then that's where really the skill of scouting and understand that the the really inside parts of the game that clubs and scouts and managers really look for in a player because when you get into the real nitty gritty and the fine detail, that's where you can identify all the all the players. Actually, if I hold my hands up for me, I draw the line at goalkeeping. Uh, I think again, I think I know a good goalkeeper, but then I think I. And probably a little bit like a fan in that respect, even as a manager. I think I, I always like to lean on goalkeeping experts because there is intrinsic kind of fine detail to that that skill and that uh, art uh, that is slightly different, if you like. And that's why there's qualifications in coaching uh, that, that are bespoke to that. Um, but of course, yeah, a manager still gets to choose which goalkeeper they put in. But goalkeeper aside, I think there's there's other areas of the pitch which demand other skills and attributes and um, I wanted to share with you what I think what I think they are excuse me I'll have a quick drink <clears throat> sorry about that uh, so the qualifications I think well, so I don't mean qualification as in you know school qualifications but generally why I believe I've got something to offer you as a footballer uh, and wanting to play football professionally, I think it might be worth you taking on board what I'm advising you. Any, any player listening to this that's ever played for me will know they've heard a lot of the things I'm going to say here. Um, now, for me, I've coached at three professional clubs at academy level. So I've kind of seen a lot, hundreds and hundreds of players come in at youth level and I've seen the ones that have worked and I've seen the ones that haven't worked. They've either exited, uh, the ones that have exited upwards and, and moved up, but some obviously move down. In some cases don't play a, a, at all anymore. Uh, and of course, those that then get scholars and go on to get professional contracts. So I think that's really invaluable. And for, as part of that, I've seen the inside mechanisms of like recruitment, what they do for development. I've sat in their meetings, in them recruitment meetings, you know, the retain and release meetings uh, as you move up older then into the contractual side. Uh, and I think that's, you know, quite a valuable experience to, to share or to make me qualified to, to, to give you advice. I've scouted at two Premier League clubs as well at youth level. So I've seen the strategies that they deploy, uh, the DNA that they have, the the, um, the way in which they will uh, geographically uh, go after players, then what pathway they look to put them on, what, let's say there's five areas of, of DNA that they look for, but if there's three, how do they improve the other two? If it, what, what about position specific uh, um, skills and assets and, and attributes, uh, um, all these different aspects. So to do that at, le at level one academies, I think is invaluable. And I've scouted also at senior level, and I've done that at three pro clubs uh, in the in the EFL, 
but covering every league from Premier League to lots and lots of Premier League two, as you can imagine, because EFL, EFL clubs will be really tightly analysing those areas uh, at, at Premier League two, because it, it's of course expected that a lot of those players will drop down uh, in particular, even the ones that are really thriving, they will come back on loan. So it's important to be aware of who you want and uh, who you can go after. Actually, one manager I worked for in this role in the FL, I never forget uh, uh, something he said, which I thought was absolutely spot on. And it's important for even business when you're, when you're looking at recruitment. It's like we can all identify the best players, for example, you know, I could go into a meeting and say, well, I've watched uh, De Bruyne and I really think he's worth signing. So the reality is you have to remember it's always about affordability and availability. So they're the two two aspects. After all the other elements, affordable and available are the, uh, are the two other parts. And people sometimes forget that. That's relevant also for pro clubs, which have players stepping back because if you think if you're let's say an EFL, EFL club signing scholars and first year pros, you might let's say you're going to sign six first year pros, you might only sign three because you're expecting the Premier League clubs to release their players, and you already know who you're going to go after. So you're hoping to be able to pitch your club, pitch that player to to go and um, give them an opportunity. Uh, because let's face it, it would be expected that that player has probably got a better chance than, let's say, you know, you're taking a risk on, let dare I say it, from someone from non-league. So that stems part of the reality of the kind of recruitment in, in the game. And, and, and the element of that is that's why you'll hear, if you're coming out of non-league, let's say you go on trial, you really have to be better than what they've already got because those players have already had investment from academy all the way through They've had three thousand pounds, circa three to five thousand pound a year invested in that player. That's before they even get to scholar and full education. So the cost to the club, and I'm not trying to play the, the club the victim here, but there's of course it's a business, and there's a huge investment in those players. So if you come in on trial and you're as good as that player that they've already got, I'm sorry to say you, you're not going to get signed because why would they? You know that that invest they've already made that investment, so you have to be better than what they've already got. So I think it's uh, it's good to have that experience uh, within those professional clubs, and I've also seen the blueprints um, of those clubs. I've seen DNA strategies, particularly the level one academies. We'll, we'll look at you know identity of players, particularly position specific. I've worked in the EPPP environment. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, like I said, that that whole setup is to improve the structure of the game and and give players a better platform, and for the better players to be at the the better in the inside the better environments, for the overall good of our English game. And uh, I've seen all of the the workings of that E Triple P environment, of course, which is relevant to the uh, right up to right up to the first year pros because obviously the pathway that comes through. Uh, when, uh, with the Premier League Two structure, and uh, and also succession planning, which was pioneered by you know some of the, the let's say the biggest club in in terms of uh, success in recent years, and makes a lot of sense. But when you see that pathway of that succession planning, which leads to recruitment, it's very much now like you're not just going out and saying, well, uh, this player looks really good at playing in you know the Southern League. Well, where does that player fit into the gap that exists for the age group? Um, because let's say it's under under eighteens, the club might look and say, "Okay, but we've got an under sixteens, which we're looking at." So suddenly we're saying you've got to be better than the the player that that is in your position at your age group. But it might also be that you probably need to make them question whether oh, you might be better than actually the under sixteens, because that. You don't want to block the pathway for that player. So, um, but that's that's all about succession planning, and that that as part of that, it makes recruitment very much strategic. Uh, it's not by accident. It, it, it's been absolutely terrific within the environment at Manchester City, obviously, uh, to see. And then you see other clubs that kind of do this, you know, knee-jerk recruitment, 
And then there's kind of like, you know, the, the players don't seem to fit into certain structures. And I think we all know probably, uh, I think one of them was playing today. Uh, oh, by the way, FA Cup. To the, mate, congratulations to Maidstone United. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, Newport as well having a fantastic go today. Love the FA Cup. We played, although I'm still angry. Angry, is that the right word? But, oh, it, it does hurt when we played... We played Corby and oh dear, got ourselves ahead. Chris, Christopher Ray, Chris Ray was terrific that day, and he's now up at Hartlepool. And God love him, he played for us that day, and he was unplayable. And we got ourselves ahead, and unfortunately, we sort of threw it away ourselves. And then uh, they come back and beat us at our place. Anyway, what a great day, what a great experience. But um, yeah, FA Cup is the best tournament in the world by far. Where was I? So, of course, managing in uh, step three uh, with uh, zero finances was also a, a big thing. So, for me, what what's our attraction as a club? I had to say to our players, uh, you know, the players that we that we wanted, you know, we can't pay you. It's, it's quite straightforward. We're pretty much all the other not most other non league clubs, I should say, not all are you know, offering money and, and and perhaps other benefits and perks. We, we, we just can't do that. So I kind of have to promote myself and my experience and my background on the basis that if you work with me, I might be able to help you. That's not just because of knowing someone's phone number or knowing people or I've spoke to someone one day that, you know, was was a, was in the professional game. That's from legitimate relationships and re- legitimate experience working in in the game learning a lot I'm still learning by the way as I approach 50 I think I was very open-minded I've always worked in technology for example so I've always been open to to change and um, and that was my kind of pitch for those players and, and when we got going over the f- course of the first 18 months actually we averaged seven players from our development squad in our first team. So they had been in the development squad, played a significant number of games and were now in our first team. And in the end, we actually had five players within two years that had gone into professional football from step three, which became unfortunately inevitably, which is another story, but step four and, and, and to put five into professional football. I think when you consider we were paying zero, we had nothing. We were using my footballs from that I had in my back garden. You know, we really had nothing. And we're competing at real, you know, these are high-end, the fantastic football clubs like Hereford United, Kings Lynn, <clears throat> Dorchester, Weymouth, uh, uh, and, uh, Tiverton. You know, the list goes on. Really good, solid non-league football clubs. And, uh, oh, sorry, I mentioned Corby already. Again, another great club. Kettering, another great club. So week in, week out, we're pitching ourselves against these terrific clubs with really, really young players. Average age, 19, maximum 21. And uh, and, and eventually they, 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 they came good. They really, really learned really fast. And, and one of the things we did was put in development plans for them as well. And this is something I wanted to, to talk to you guys today about so you could learn a little bit about uh, uh, about the processes that I think worked. And that would bring me on to really what would be my suggestions for you as a player. So these are my, my I've got eight points here. So first of all, number one would be you really need to define success. So what does success look like for you? You know, what's your motivation to play? Before I coached professionally, I coached in non-league. I did grassroots football. Uh, I went on to do community football. Um, of course, I got my head down and did my qualifications. Uh, I like to think that, you know, I injected personality, enthusiasm, uh, stickler for, for all the easy things I could fix. Um, I'm not suggesting I was the best coach, but I certainly was very motivated, always upbeat. Um, anyway, whatever I did seemed to work because I got offered opportunities and obviously went on to work in some great professional football clubs. 
to, it kind of, what I'm trying to say is that my coaching career took a kind of organic path. I didn't really push it like that. That's just how it happened. And I think football for me, it, it was like that. And to a degree, we're taking it away. So because we're forcing like the motivation, the motivation is to be a pro. But if you talk, I mentioned Kevin De Bruyne, I watched a, 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 an interview with De Bruyne and he said he still loves playing football today. That's the reason why he plays. Now, okay, that's easy to say when you're getting, you know, a few uh, pound every week as he does, but he still has the motivation and that's his key mo- thing is, is, is he enjoys playing the game. So I, I find it a bit uncomfortable when I hear suggestions from outside people saying, well, you could get paid this, you could get paid that. Now, if your motivation is to get the most money in the short term, then listen to that advice. For me, if you define success as being, actually, I do believe that I can have a career in the game, then I think you maybe need to listen to the next suggestions here. So, but, but number one, define success. What does it look like? Is it for fun? Is it to play with your mates? Is it to have a career in a game? Or is it just to get as much money as you can? You know, try and be honest to yourself. The second point is work out who you need to listen to. I did a great interview the other day with with Andrew Osobonsu, a former MK Dons uh, player, uh, academy player, scholar, first team, uh, made his first team debut there. And he was saying about listening to people. Uh, I felt... I think with some players, certainly when I was in step three, I felt that certain people were, you know, trying to turn players' heads a bit too early and I could feel that it was, I'm not sure it was for the players' gain. You could argue, they would argue to me, no, it's for your gain because you wanted to keep your best players. But again, my argument would be, yeah, but I think I know the best way to, to, to get this player exiting at the highest level because my reputation, my my identity, people know me, as a person that develops players, work with youth players, thousands of football matches. I don't even know how many professional players there are in the game that I've worked with. I'm not saying that's down to me, but I know a lot at all levels of the game that I've worked with or had some input with. And that's what I get my buzz and kick from is, is by moving players on. And actually that keeps, then I could then develop a sustainable story of, you go with this guy, he helps you develop, he moves you on. That's now, and, and eventually that would create a sustainable football club. So I think you just need to work out who you need to listen to. And and by the way, that doesn't mean that all the managers and coaches are correct either. Um, and that will come on to that in a sec. But work out who you need to take your advice from. Of course, your family and your partner and your parents, let's be honest, typically... That's the, the first and foremost. They're the, they're the most important because they know what's right for you because they want you to be happy. Fundamentally, that's that's the norm for people that love you. So just work out who you need to listen to. Number three is do the really easy things well. Like do them first class. They're, 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 the stuff you just, you know, be on time. I know it's easy to say, have a good attitude, be punctual, you know, if the club's got a dress code, just just do it. You know, if if there's a tracksuit, get it ready properly. Just, I'll give you a quick example. We did open trials with Luton Towns a few years ago with a great, some great guys. They had such a good time. John D'Souza, Dan Walder, Adam Belletta. Oh, sorry if I've missed people. But it was absolutely, I loved do, doing these things. And actually, it worked out really well because it was a bit of a no-brainer. The clubs, I don't mean, I don't even know, know how many emails they get a day. But we... The club eventually said, okay, one, another great coach, actually, I worked with another club said, imagine like we've missed someone though. So for all those thousands of connections we get, there could actually be a golden nugget in there. So Luton did really well because they did these open trials and and to to back it up, they, well, sorry, they did back it up because I remember one player, I think we went up to St. Neots pre-season. We took a risk with the manager at the time. We said, we we think he he should, you know, be given a chance and he was and I'm sure was it Sinitz or St. Ives one of the I can't remember anyway he went and played really well and Luton ended up signing him um, which was which was fantastic but the flip side to that on those open trials was we had a player turn up late 
uh, and I remember going down to the table and I said, you know, hello, mate. And he sort of didn't apologise or anything like that. He just sort of went, well, yeah. And he just, I don't know, he like, he, he, it was like I'd done something wrong. Well, why is everyone, where's everyone gone? Well, you, you are late. And what happened is quickly, it, it, this conversation didn't, you know, it started badly and, and got very quickly worse because obviously we don't pull no punches. We've got to treat you like a player now. And <clears throat> it's part of testing whether you can be in this game. And because he, he, he didn't like this, you know, this, this, this approach, it was overheard again without naming names, but it, the, the, the first team manager was lurking around and he just walked over and said, send that lad home. And that was, that was the end of his, <laughs> his, his opportunity. So, uh, I, I guess in there you could say as well as, as part of that is looking after yourself because I remember we did as part of that we on the first parts we wanted to find out is how fit someone was now you're not going to be match fit as in football league fit but there must be a starting point you know you can't you can't expect to be given a football contract if you if you are completely out of shape and and at the time I mean I'd have various injuries myself I was reasonably fit and I could do the Cooper run I remember doing the Cooper run at the start of those trials and beating several players. And actually one player, uh, the guys, if they listen to this, that I've just mentioned, they'll remember. The guy did, I think, two or three laps, which is near enough the size of a football pitch, if you imagine, slightly smaller. Um, but he did two or three laps and uh, just jogged straight round off the training ground, straight up the ramp, straight into the changing room, evidently chucked up and got his kit, got his, took his kit off, put, got changed, realised, no, this isn't for me, quite clearly, um, and left. So, you know, there, there's things that you can fix easily. It's not, can you, how many keepy-ups can you do? Can you do bicycle kits? Can you do stuff Sedan can do and Maradona? Not asking that, but can you do the, easy things really really well that's point number three number four is to train hard and build a personal football development plan and that i'm going to explain the, the training hard bit is down to you but the personal football development plan i'll give you will give you an idea of that over audio it's not particularly easy but i'm going to give you a little taster of that and um you know if you if you just become a better player, so if I hear people saying, you need to be at step three in order to give yourself a chance, you need to be, well, that's all well and good, but what if you're not good enough? That's not good enough permanently, but what if you're not good enough now? Because managers pick players that will most likely win them games, typically. So it might be that actually you're the one, you have to take responsibility for yourself and you have to improve. And part of that is a football development plan. And we'll come on to that because that's a bit of self-analysis. We're working out the pro world, bit of self-analysis, and then and then finding out what you can work on. Make yourself better because, believe me, once you do that, for example, if you get an agent to help you get a club, I would, in my opinion, I think you've got it the wrong way around. Make yourself really good. Make yourself better. Take yourself, take this, take the, the the game seriously in terms of you want to, it's called professional I said to a player once when it was a bit frustrated once I asked that player and that they've been on trial they want to be a professional footballer and they did a couple of things on the game which I questioned their knowledge of the game generally from a tactical point of view so I asked do you actually watch football have you actually been to a game sat in the stand I mean I don't mean going to the pub getting drunk and shouting roaring in a terrace I mean have you gone to a game and sat down with a cup of tea and just watched the game and he said no he'd never been to a game so you know it's like being a mechanic and never lifting the hood of a car you know you you have to look under the bonnet uh, and 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 study the game so we'll, we'll come on to to that and if because if you do that you'll be better you'll be in demand managers will be coming for you, you clubs will want you and it's about supply and demand. Now you've got demand. Well, if that now includes full-time money and things, well, okay, fine. Then get someone to represent you that perhaps knows the, the legal ins and outs of the game. That, in my opinion, is the right way to do it. 
Point number five is set realistic objective games targets. Now, this is difficult if the coaches you work with don't understand this or don't believe in it, but I think you should... So, so basically, you, you go into a game, you, you know, the, the manager's got a whole set of structures, but you're asking the coach separately. You know, I bet you've all asked this because I heard this a hundred times, especially if you were on the bench. Coach, what can I do to be better? I'm looking at you now. You've asked this question, right? I know you have because I've been asked it a hundred times as a manager and as a coach. What can I do to be better? So if a coach isn't prepared to answer that, I think that's a little bit of a, you know, a little chink in the armour of the coach, really, maybe in their own confidence, their own ability and what have you. They should be able to answer that. Of course they should. So, and for me, I would be sitting down with you and pre-game would be setting objectives for you. Maybe the crowd or the audience or, or other people can't see it and they won't be negatively affecting the game. They won't negative, negatively affect the manager's objectives for the game or his tactics or anything like that. Of course, you have to clear it the manager. But look at look at these objectives I would say analyse a player in your position first. Go right to the top level. Why not? People say, well, I'm not going to play for Liverpool. Well, okay, but if you can't look at the very, very best and look at what they do and then at least try to emulate aspects of it, but you want to be a professional, right? So find players that do this job professionally, that get paid in your position and do the analysis. Then bring it to the coach and ask if it's okay or what could you or couldn't you do in games and then have someone on the side do the analysis for you so we'll go through those two things shortly i think number six you need you you must learn it or find out how to have a growth mindset you've you've got to be prepared to learn Uh, as part of that there is a thing about criticism you know would you take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from um i always you know that's that's a little phrase that stuck in my mind. Um, so if you're prepared to take the advice of someone, though, you should be prepared to take the, some criticism, obviously constructive. Uh, we, we're all we're all still learning. I have this growth mindset and I know I can do things better. So you haven't cracked it. You're not a footballer now. So you, you don't you don't know it all. You haven't cracked it. And you've got to be prepared to learn. And maybe develop some resilience you have to train better you've got to biggest thing of all be prepared to come out of your comfort zone so be be challenged embrace being uncomfortable be comfortable being uncomfortable kind of bit david brent here but you get my point right you've got to be outside your comfort zone that's where all the greatness happens is 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 out there so learn google it study it and develop this growth mindset seven treasure your time on the pitch create memorable moments in games if you can you know go out there don't leave stuff in the dressing room on sorry don't leave stuff on the pitch you know the the when you get back to that dressing room you need to think there's nothing more i could have done and i see it so often you know where players just that they let the time drift past they let the game pass by. And a couple of things I wanted to share or, to, or for you to think about is I always used to think you never know who's watching. So that's the day that you did, you threw your arms around, you had a bad day, you bad at you. That could have been the day that there was someone in that stand that could have changed your life. You don't know it, but it could have been that day. And sorry about that, just moving my microphone, but. Yeah, if you think about it, if you're playing in non-league, is there a lone player there from the football league? Because if there is, there's probably a scout there watching that lone player because they have to report back. Now, if you're absolutely brilliant, they'll they'll report that back as well. So just yeah, be mindful. Is you 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 never know who's um, who's watching. Don't let time pass you by. And the last point point eight is to a degree, be patient. I don't want to see a part of my motivation for doing this is the encouragement of moving players around all the time. I just think it's not healthy for it's not healthy for the clubs. It's not healthy for the game. You know, come on, I go back to the growth mindset. Where, where's your resilience? Okay, you're not being picked. 
you know, 20 into 11 doesn't go. That's a maths problem. And the manager wants to win. So, you know, get some resilience, knuckle down, do work out these other elements of it I've described to you to find a way to see if you can get yourself in that team. Now, some managers work like this. They go to the board, they thump their fist on the table, they demand a higher budget. That's why we can't compete is because we just did the only thing is more money. And then they get kind of seasoned players at these levels and just pay more money. Now, okay, if you're young and you have this growth mindset and the manager and the coaches don't understand that, then that's probably the time where you think, well, this is not going to work for me. Because if they just keep bringing someone in front of you, well, the reality is then, okay, you might not get that time to treasure on the pitch to get your development plan and do your game objectives. So, but if the manager and the coaches, if you're seeing other young players get opportunities, then you've got to ask yourself, well, why am I not? Maybe I need to think about these things I've just shared with you. And, you know, come and be realistic. If you're on the bench at step six you and you're saying you want to be a professional, you know, maybe I think it's just reality check. The jumping around teams at that level it, uh, perhaps is not the answer. Like I said, unless the manager is really, uh, uh, you know, doesn't have that kind of uh, uh, growth mindset as well. So that is my eight elements. And, and the next thing I want to talk to you is about recruitment and scouting, because from a recruitment and scouting point of view, I think if you understand it a little bit, that will help you as a player. And of course, having done this a lot, I, uh, you know, there's, there's various elements to scouting. So first of all, just quickly share with you the, the elements of scouting. So, um, you get general match reports. So a general match report is just looking for, typically if it's non-league, if it's an EFL club and they're looking at non-league, they'll probably look at players up to a certain age. So let's say if you're a 17 year old, 18 year old and you're playing in the first team, you're probably on the radar of someone somewhere just because of the age. But let's say up to 21 or, you know, but that's, there's no, you never say never to anything really, because ultimately as well, the scout will come out. If it's a general match report, they will report on the best three or four players from both teams. It's quite simple. So that if that's, that's if they go there with no predetermined individual in mind, they've just been sent to the game. They'll do a full report on the best, either three, play, three or four players overall, or if it's a high enough level, they'll do three or four from each team. Then there's match reports on upcoming opposition. That's generally is another topic for scouting. I don't need to worry about that here. Uh, that's very in-depth. If, if I was doing those kind of reports, you know, I'm in the ground as early as the press because there's a lot of, a lot of preparation to do, uh, lots of tea to drink, and, um, and yeah, they're, they're quite extensive, as you can imagine, really in-depth reports. Very rarely do teams, you know, turn up to play opposition and, and not know a lot about them. This is, and that's done three times typically before before the team comes to play them. But that doesn't affect you in terms of recruitment. Then you get an individually targeted player report that is reported on you on the four pillars: technical, tactical, physical, and psychological, and might be reworded slightly with different clubs. And then it's quite simple. Sign the player, monitor the player, or no. <clears throat> and then, of course, it could be you have an off day. So it might not be, if, you, if you've been individually targeted, it might not be the only report done on you. There'll be several. I went back, actually, in preparation for this. I was looking at old reports, just out of curiosity as well. And you see sort of players now. And there was I read some reports, actually, on, on Jamie Vardy when he was playing for Fleetwood. And at the time, the scout was absolutely stonewall signing. And it was to do with energy levels with and without the ball. I, think I was reading it and I was fascinated because, it, of course, he went right up the leagues to do that right at the top level and for England, which is terrific. So so that's how those reports are, are put together. Uh, and just to share with you, Norwich City, OK, this was going back more to the youth level. But, of course, this could go, let's say, even anywhere in the academy. So that's including up to the scholars. They would look in those aspects. If you go technical, they would say one of their big cornerstones is first touch. 
From a tactical point of view, their big cornerstone is game understanding. From a physical point of view, you think, oh, what does that look like? Okay, interestingly, their number one thing is was, was might be different now, but multi-directional. Great, you know, centre midfielder. Do, do you always receive the ball in, in, and, and go in the same direction? Okay. And psychological. So this one is intrinsic drive. So when you reach out into someone's stomach, you know, can you feel the heat? Can you, how how desperate do they feel, you know, to, to achieve what they want to achieve? I remember actually when I had Peter Chiozo in the dressing room, it was a dressing room, so I won't repeat the words exactly. Um, but what I would say is, <clears throat> I remember feeling that intrinsic drive. I had that because I worked at Norwich. It was always in my mind looking for that kind of level of intrinsic drive. And he stood out as someone that had that. And I remember one particular example of that he'd have to be on on here. Excuse me, grab a drink. He'd have to be on here with me to get his approval because the dressing room is sacrilege, as you all know. But my word, he had that in abundance, absolute abundance. And of course, he, you know, went on to sign at, at, what is it, three or four clubs now and still plying his trade. I think he's just gone back to Rotherham United. So there were the four things for Norwich. Actually, Bradford, if you looked at their 18s recruitment, they were, it's quite interesting because we talk about technical, but they were like number one, pace, number two, desire. So we're back into that. Three, hunger, back into the same intrinsic drive. Four, attitude. So that's, what's that? One, physical. Two, desire is is psychological. Three, hunger, psychological. Four, attitude, psychological. Five, tactical awareness, okay. Six, decision-making, tactical. Seven, 1v1 situations in attack and defence. You could argue that's technical with some, dis- with, 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 you know, with, with the decision-making in that as well. So that was that was Bradford. And um, it just gives you an insight, I think, because as I say, you know, just doing step-overs and flip-flaps and uh, and, and these things, it's, it's, it's so much more to it than that. And to finish up on the recruitment side, you know, me personally, I'm not a massive fan of football CVs. I think it's the only industry in the world where, you know, your football CVs on the internet. I'm not a massive fan of montage videos because, in my opinion, they're typically unrealistic. You know, I, I've never, I've never created a montage of me and added the bad bits. If I completely slip up on this podcast now, I'll, I'll edit and cut it out. Now, I'm thing is not to edit these but if i if i had a howler no <laughs> there's no doubt <clears throat> i'm gonna i'm gonna go back and, and cut it out that's what we do when we want ourselves to look good so that's that that's why you'll always get scouts that go to games and stats are part of the story reality now they are part of the story uh, more and more clubs are going down the data-driven road and um but games will always still need watching, for for for, for sure. <clears throat> well, to to a degree, for now anyway. But I think a small handful of clubs are obviously extremely data driven, and uh, and there's various platforms that are uh, that that are forming part of that as well. So, I mentioned the the four pillars, technical, just to 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 get this rammed into your minds, the technical. First touch, it's you know, um, if I, I mean, I, I haven't got time to go through them all, but you know what they they'll give you some words what part of your foot you use, can use both feet, unpredictable body position, control within the floor, aerial direction, passing range, detail. My word, I could talk hours about detail in passing and the variety of the pass, your dribbling and running with the ball, 1v1s. Can you beat your opponent? What you like defending one v one with in terms of skill? Uh, then you can add in, of course, your tricks and disguise and different types of heading, turning, tackling, blocking, timing, shooting, creativity, and decision making, which forms actually part of tactical. So tactical, some things you might want to consider. Now, positional demands differ, of course. Uh, from a tactical point of view, but angles and distances, movement off the ball, great topic. I love that. That's why I love netball, by the way. 
supporting play, awareness, scanning, back to netball, <clears throat> combination play, systems, style of play, set pieces, positions, attributes, counter-attack, compact defending, recovery runs, attacking principles, defending principles, and formations. Formations right down the bottom. <clears throat> Excuse me. Phys- physical aspect. My voice is always drying up lately. Physical. Um, of course, this was multi-directional, as, as we mentioned earlier, but agility, balance, coordination, speed, different dif- distances of, of speed, power, core body strength, use of your body in 1v1s. You heard 1v1s a few times, right? When I was at Norwich, at this big thing about staying on the ball, being able to get on the ball and stay on the ball. Anyway, so uh, reactions, 360 multi-directional, fitness appropriate for roles, so conditioning, you know, like a fullback, for example, runs greater distances than a centre-back typically. Uh, Your general health, your diet, jumping, landing, twisting, endurance. And lastly, psychological. Confidence, self-belief, decision-making, self-control, discipline, concentration, focus, teamwork, Spirit, communication style, adaptability, bravery, resilience. Wow, we could do a whole thing on resilience. Standards, pride, responsibility, behavior, attitude, listening, willing to learn, effort, energy, enthusiasm, sporting behavior, respect, empathy, what you like with your teammates. And the one we haven't mentioned yet, but is way up there, of course the will to win and then if I add to that okay if you want to be professional these are things you'd need to know but can you take on board information so when I I mentioned the scouting of matches for opposition there's a lot of information then when you go into your team meeting now some managers I, I would suggest maybe some of the old school managers as well but again not all you know, it's the old thing of uh, uh, Benson and Edges. You know, the the uh, players on the on the written on the back of a fag packet. The, the game isn't like that anymore. There's loads and loads of detail. There's loads of detail in possession in those two scenarios. By the way, because in possession, you've got the ball, or your teammates have got the ball. And what is your role there? What's the tactic of the team? And are you adaptable? And then out of possession. There's, there's, and this just doesn't mean either herring around or not herring around. Always, if you go to a kids' game and parents shout "move," that's the biggest thing I hate in the world. Move. What does that mean? Do star jumps? Run on the spot? What does, what does that mean? So you need to get right into the detail of out of possession work, uh, and and again, that can be very tactical because it could be denying space. You know, going into certain areas, forcing play a certain way so you can set traps. This is much more than you just moving, like I said, and like what you hear on those, those kids' games. You, you, you need to learn fast what your roles are when there's a restart, you know, corners, free kicks, all these things. And you need to know them and remember them. Of course, there'd be practice. And then and there's winning standards as part of match day, you know, pre-game, timekeeping. Yeah, there's that thing, is it the five P's or six P's? Pr- proper preparation prevents poor performance. But you've got to look after yourself. Your body language, your image, your dress. During the game, are you adaptable? Do you have you know, different styles? What happens when we're winning and there's a certain scenario in a game? Are you able to adapt to that? Or you know, can you're, are you not able to, um, to react to that situation? What you like with the highs and lows when you go behind? What's your handling like? What, what about when you're pro, what, what about handling provocation? Can you stay focused for? Well, you, we used to say ninety-six minutes. It's probably hundred plus minutes now. Your decision making, your communication, your attitude, your positivity. <clears throat> so that's part of the you know being in the game, pre-game, during the game, and then of course post down, post-game. You know, even if you're if you're in non-league, you know, are you the one sitting in the dressing room? So, well, I didn't play, and the fitness coach says, "Yeah, but you need to do box and box to box." No, I didn't play. I'm going to have a sulk. Okay, well, you won't be doing that in professional football because you're a professional athlete, and you need to do what's asked of you. Uh, 
So there's post-game conduct uh, and things that you need to consider. And I would offer up two things now. If you somehow get in touch with me, I'm prepared to, to send to you. And I'll actually, I'll post an image of these on the, on social media, on our, on our podcast social media. And I'll try and get through it quickly, though. But I mentioned before about the, the personal development plan. So with the with the personal development plan, excuse me, yeah, my my production team are, are going going bonkers here because obviously normally we pause things, we go to the production team, make some cuts, so we can have a drink. But uh, yeah, until we get a production team, uh, apologies for that professionalism. Anyway, so a personal development plan is just a reflection. That's the way I see it. Some self-analysis. So with this one, I create those areas for you. The technical, tactical, physical and psychological areas. And then I put five points in each. So you get a potential 25 points for each area. And I sit, I will sit down with you and ask you, right, if we graded this on five, if you score yourself five, you're a kind of EFL player, Premier League player. If you're level four, you're a National League or National League North-South player. Level three, Southern League, Ishmian League, you know, that kind of level. And let's say down to one grass, you know, obviously grassroots. Uh, level two, what have I got? It's level two then would be kind of like five and six. So South Midlands League. Uh, what's that? Southern combinations, combined counties, that kind of level. So you score yourself whether you think, well, I'm Premier League at that or I'm grassroots at that or somewhere between the two. So, for example, in technical, I've got defending 1v1, positioning, delaying, timing, tackling. So I'd say to you, <clears throat> where, what do you think you're like at that? Well, I'm not a defender. And yes, you are. Because when you haven't got the ball, you're, we're all defenders. When we When we've got the ball, we're all attackers. So, yes, you are. So, what's your defending 1v1 like? Well, okay, well, I'm a winger and I don't... Okay, so I'm one. And then we go through those and I've got those five questions, for key questions for each of the four areas. And then you come up with a score. And then overall, it's somewhere for you to look at to go, well, now that I've stripped it back, now when I strip it back like that, well, yeah, I can see that, yeah, I am a... I am at a non-league and maybe I am and that, okay. And now I can look at that and go, yeah, but if I could bring that level three to a level four in that particular area and do several of them and work hard on them and ask good coaches and good developers, is there things I can do in training? Is there things I can do away from training? Is there things I can do on my own to help me with that? Or I'm going to research it and do it myself because that's what professionals do to get better. Right up to doctors. You know, that's the whole point of medical papers. I'm going to go away and I'm going to do my research and I'm going to get better. Now, that would be a sign of someone that has got a growth mindset and can learn and get better. So if you want to get in touch with me, I'll share with you one of these forms. If I could, I mean, I can't, obviously, I can't get round everywhere all around the, the country and, and, and do it. But I, I do like going to games, actually. And I'll do what I think and then you do what you think and we marry the two. And we sit together and I say, well, this is where I think you are at. And now you tell me where you think you're at and we can have a conversation and then and then work out, you know, where we need to get to. So you can see the difference between me with, with the way I, I I have this bug for developing people is that it's, it's, it's the, de the fine detail in, in, um, in, um, in, in terms of stripping it back to into objective information rather than just thinking oh yeah you weren't good enough or you were good enough or well that's opinion let's let's strip it right back into the most objective way we can and then and let's see if we can make you a better player and then your game analysis would be based on your position so what i would say to you is right i'll give you this sheet and you go and look at a player at professional level at the very least top level if you want and 
and do tally graphs on what you see. So if you're a centre-back, you would, let's say, do four centre-backs. So say it's both teams have got four at the back. So you've got four centre-backs. Every time they do a long pass, and it, it, do, sorry, do a yeah, long pass that's successful, long pass that's not successful, short pass that's successful, short pass that's not successful. <clears throat> sideways, good. Sideways, bad. That kind of thing. Clearances, tally graph. Driving forward with the ball. Uh, shots on target. Obviously, that could be set pieces and shots off target. So you go away and you do that tally graph. Now, let's do a tally graph for you. Let's let's see what you look like compared to the pro. If you're a fullback or a wingback, let's look at passes forward that are successful, passes side and back, any pass that doesn't get where it should. But added to that, because I think this is important, this is where you need to talk to your manager and coach, but arriving in the box in open play. So if the ball's down the right wing and you're a left back, are you arriving in the box? Again, it could be your manager says, I don't want you to. Okay, so that's where you've got to be careful. <clears throat> you need to clear it with your manager. I personally would. Uh, how many crosses do you put in the in, in the box? How many passes into the attacking box do you do? And do you drive into the box with the ball? Shots on target, shots off target. So there's an, a subjective analysis. I did, I did this for Luke Shaw and then was able to compare this, obviously, to... to and they would say to me, yeah, but that's Luke Shaw. Yeah, but OK, respectfully, you're not playing against Liverpool and Arsenal and Chelsea, are you? So, you know, these things are all relative. So a really good way of, um, I think of you really getting to taking away this, well, what was my performance like? And it's just an opinion. Centre midfield, might get three or six players you could analyse. I think keep it simple, maybe go with, you know, two or three before you do your own. But analyse their passes forward. How many side and back? How many don't get to where they're meant to go to? Of course, you could base this on risk as well. Because... High-risk passes have a higher risk of failure, obviously. So this is one of the issues you have to be careful with data um, because, you know, I always remember actually, was it Dia Maria, I think, had a fairly uh, low data score for possession. But actually, when you look at his game, he puts lots of balls in the box. So you could argue that's a, a failed... Could go as a failure, but again, if, you're, if that's a tactic you want as a, as a manager, then it's not a failure. But... Are you driving into the box? Are you arriving in the box in open play? Uh, I, I think it's so important for centre midfielders. You could say to a centre midfielder, I want you to arrive in the box two times in each half in open play. And I've done this with players over the years and they get goals or they get chances or they get attempts. So, yeah. That's centre midfield and there's other aspects to that. Some obvious things you could probably, uh, you know, think of yourself. And then forward analysis. So passes outside the box, inside the box, passes backwards, which link up play. Passes that fail, crosses, driving forward, assists, receiving uh, the ball from a from a cross. So are you getting in good areas, shots on target, etc., etc.? Um, great to analyse strikers, of course. You know, to look at the best in your field and analyse that and then think, what could I learn and what could I add? It's a great way to be, you know, analytical and uh, and give yourself a subjective and really good platform for learning. So get in touch with me if you want to see that. If you look at some of the social media uh, that, that we're on, McCool to talk uh, is on is on various social media platforms. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, and I'm going to post some of those. If you want some of those documents, I'll post them publicly. But have a think about that. It's only my view. I'm not saying I'm right. If there's someone out there that really passionately would love to come on and talk about, you know, that where people get their advice from in in non-league and and get into professional football, then then great. Get in touch. Let's talk about it more. And uh, that I think for me is enough rambling my throats nearly nearly dying as well because I thought I'd give myself a break and I didn't but nearly a perfect hour <laughs> perfect hour or waste of an hour I don't know but 
perhaps get back to uh, to the next one if you can. Have a listen in. We'll get some people on and have a little bit of fun. All the best. Well done, Maidstone.